see anyone with a mask on. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, it's good to be back with you precious folks. It's always a joy to come and cover the pulpit for you, Pastor Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity to do that. And uh, you and Valerie and your family uh, are a blessing to our family in many, many ways. What Jeff did not tell you, what Pastor Jeff did not tell you is where we really uh, began our relationship was at a time when uh, my wife, who my family's sitting back there. We're funny. I, I like to sit towards the front, and they like to sit towards the back, and and so um, they like to be back there because they don't want to be noticed. But I'm going to point them out. There, just raise your hands. You're right there, family, right there. Okay, Frank, he raised his hand. So the other ones, they're just kind of. But anyway, um, when my mo- wife's mother went home to be with the Lord. I was in the pastorate at that time. And where does a pastor go when he needs a pastor? Right? Because a pastor's always ministering to the people within the congregation, but a pastor needs a pastor. And it was at that time uh, that I had called Jeff and I said, I need you to be my pastor right now. And God just kind of knit us together through that. And and, uh, out of of a very uh, difficult time, really, and those of you that have lost loved ones, you know exactly what that is, what that is. But it is a joy to be here, and I want you to know Cornerstone holds a very special place in our family's life and in our hearts. So thank you for praying for our family. We have uh, entered into a very, very busy uh, mission season, very productive mission season. It started in April. We led our first team up to Coatesville, PA. And uh, we worked at a camp that ministers to inner city kids from Coatesville, from Philly, from New York, from New Jersey. Uh, They just come in from all over. These are kids that, uh, it's a prison ministry camp. And so most of the kids that come there, their their parents or their family members are incarcerated. And so uh, they come with a lot of baggage. But this camp offers them the opportunity to come to know Christ as their Savior. And so uh, we're very, very grateful for that. Uh, we, uh, we got a chance to serve there uh, and get that camp ready to receive campers. So we spent a number of days just cleaning up that camp, getting it ready for them to receive campers. It was really, really a blessing. And then after that, we uh, will have a team here in the next two weeks. We will uh, take a team to uh, New Mexico to work with the Navajo Indians. Uh, We're looking forward to that. I'll be taking a team from up in Shemokin, Pennsylvania, and we're really, really looking forward to that. Then after we get back from there, literally, we will unpack our suitcase, wash all the laundry, put it back in the suitcase, because the following week, we load up as a family, and we go back to Coatesville, and we are going to do a family missions outreach at that camp. And so Alicia is going to be a counselor. She was a counselor there last year and was able to see three of her campers come to know Christ as Savior, which was really a blessing. And then uh, Kathy and I have taken on the task of preparing breakfast for the entire staff all that whole week. So that's about a little over 30 people that will be uh, serving. And uh, the neat thing is we had put out through email that we're looking to get the food donated for us to take up to the camp to serve. God miraculously brought in all of that food that we needed 
to serve. And so what a testimony of God's goodness. We're excited to serve as a family there. Please keep Alicia, our daughter, in prayer. She will uh, head to Word of Life Bible Institute this fall up in Shroon Lake, New York. And her heart and her passion is missions. I don't know where she got that from, but uh, that's her heart. And uh, she uh, is, wants to be involved somehow in urban ministry outreach. And so you can be praying for her as she makes that transition. Pray for us as she makes that transition. Uh, that's another one leaving the nest. And that's hard, isn't it? It's hard when they leave the nest. We kind of like them in the nest, right? And uh, so now some of them we like in the nest. Some of them we want to get out of the nest, right? And, uh, but she's one we want to keep in the nest. And, but uh, the Lord has great plans for her. We're excited about that. And we know she has a heart for the Lord. Then in July, I will take another team down to Viper, Kentucky, to where you all served at Winrock's Bible Camp a number of years ago. And uh, we have a team going down there to do some work down there. We're excited about that. And then uh, I'll get back from there. And then in August, I will take a team down to Kaiser, West Virginia. Uh, we'll be serving down there. We'll get back from there. And then in September, uh, I'll have another team that I'll be taking back out to New Mexico to work with the Navajo. So uh, there's a lot happening over these next several months. And so we really, really need your prayers. We cannot go where we go and serve who we serve without folks like you getting under our arms and praying for us. We really need your prayers. So please, please do that. Thank you also for praying for our grandson, Porter. Give you a little update on him. Uh, he still has his ups and downs. Uh, recently, he had a, uh, an endoscopy done where they discovered that his small intestine is filled with nodules. And I mean, I'm, when they say filled, I mean, it's just... At the doctor's words, I've never seen anything like this, which is kind of concerning. And so they biopsied those nodules, many of them, and uh, discovered that they are benign, so they're, they're not in, in a bad place. However, there has been scarring and some damage done on the inside of his intestine, not from the procedure, but from his disease that he has, which is a mitochondrial disease. And so... Uh, they're still trying to figure out what's, what's causing that, uh, trying to figure, there's really, you know, every kid with a mitochondrial disease is different, so it's not like you can, you have a, a textbook to follow in this, and so please pray for wisdom for the doctors. If you were to meet my grandson, you would think, is there anything wrong with this kid? Uh, yesterday, I had the privilege of watching our grandkids while mom was at a baby shower, so it was just me and Frankie and the grandkids. And uh, we spent about four or five hours together yesterday, and Porter is learning to fish. And I'm teaching him how to fish. And so here's how we started. Uh, we started in the driveway with his little casting plug and his little rod that's about this long. And he was learning how to cast. We got it out of the trees and, you know, got... I figure if I can teach him how to do it ahead of time, when I take him to the lake, I can actually fish with him, okay? Because you know how it is when, okay. So then we moved yesterday to casting into our swimming pool. And so he would stand up on the deck, and he was practicing getting his 
distance, and I would put little floats out there, and I would say, now, Porter, try and get it inside the float, and he was just loving that. His spirit is excellent. His body, it's a challenge. And so you can continue to pray for him. So um, just pray for that. So join me in a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump. We're going to get your seatbelt on, and we're going to jump into God's word together, okay? So thank you. Let's pray. Father, what a joy to serve you this morning. What a joy to be able to get up, get out of the bed. Thank you for greeting us with the beautiful sunshine today, and, and uh, it's going to be a beautiful day. Uh, but it is a day where we remember. We remember those who have given their lives for the freedom that we so have and enjoy today. Uh, but ultimately, the greatest freedom is found in Christ. And Father, we remember today what he did for us on Calvary. And so Father, today we pray for those families who have been affected by the loss of loved ones, who have kept the freedom that we have. But today I pray that you would speak to our hearts as we open your word. I pray that you would you would just prepare our hearts to receive it. And Father, then to, to not just leave here today saying, okay, that was another, another service, another, another time that we got together, but rather, Lord, to, to really meditate on what you have for us today. And throughout this week, bring it back to our minds. And so, Father, we just continue in our worship with you, of you, in sharing your word today. Give my lips the right words to share from you. We'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So I want to invite you this morning back to an old, old story that is just as relevant today as it was the day that it unfolded in real time. It's the story of David and Goliath. Now before you tune me out, before you tune me out and already think in your minds, you know, I've heard that story a thousand times. I know what happens. Uh, uh, David kills a giant. Well, so that I don't lose your attention, so that I don't lose your attention, we're going to make it a little bit more personal, and we're going to talk about your giant. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, your giant. What is it? Let's talk about some of the giants that we face every single day. How about the giant of unemployment or fear of what lies ahead or abandonment or nuclear war or sexual abuse, depression, bills, bad grades in school, alcohol, pornography, homosexuality, adultery, your career, your rejection, pills, drugs, overeating, undereating, self-image addictions. Have I hit your giant yet? Or what about the giant of failure or your addiction to shopping and spending? Or what about the romance novels or your uncontrolled anger that levels everything in its path? What about your marriage that, that seems to be falling apart at the seams? What about your giant of your health? These are our giants, and they show up very, very often. Let's talk about how every day you and I are supposed to be living the victorious Christian life, but if truth be known, many times you're not. You're just not. You cave into your giant over 
and over again. Today, today it's time to face your giants. Today it's time to learn some things about your giants. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And uh, as you're turning there, you know, I was thinking about this laser pointer. I'm so glad that they explained to me how it worked. Because there's the, the very bottom button, which is where your thumb naturally goes to, is the laser pointer. And I could just imagine that I could be out here shaking this thing and blinding people uh, along. So if that happens, and I'm not aware of it, just kind of make some kind of signal to me, okay? Or, or maybe I'll just put it down and maybe not hold it because uh, that could be dangerous. Anyway, so as you're turning there to 1 Samuel chapter 17, the first thing that I want you to understand this morning is this. The odds are against you. The odds are against you. Let's kind of pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and notice, follow along as I read from verses 1 down to verse 7. Now, the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shukah, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shukah and Azekah in Ephes And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley in between them. Do you get the picture? You can kind of get the picture. You got the mountain here, you have a mountain here, the Philistines are here, the Israelis are here, and in the, in the middle is a valley. You can kind of get that picture. Verse 4. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. That's about almost ten feet tall. Some of your Bibles might have that in there. Almost ten feet tall. He had a helmet of brass on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, or you could just say 125 pounds. His mail, the, 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 the stuff that he wore to protect his body, weighed 125 pounds. This is a massive dude. And notice verse 6. He had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target or a shield of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and the spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's about 15 pounds. The head of the spear weighed 15 pounds. And notice verse 7. And one bearing a shield went before him. Did you know that Goliath had an armor bearer? Goliath actually had an armor bearer. He probably really didn't need an armor bearer, but he had one. It's kind of interesting. And by the way, the TV shows, the books all make it look like this was just a one-day thing. But notice verse 16. Notice this. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening to present himself. How many days? Forty days. There was no humanly way possible for them to defeat this giant. Saul's entire army was defenseless against this Philistines, the Philistines and their champion. They were just defenseless. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why? Well, personally, I think it's because they knew Goliath came from a family of giants. 
I think they knew that. He's not the only giant mentioned in Scripture. As a matter of fact, he comes from a, a, a family of giants. On a side note, Goliath would not be the only giant that David would slay. Did you know that? There were more giants that David would slay. As a matter of fact, keep your hand there in 1 Samuel. Go to 2 Samuel with me real quick. 2 Samuel chapter 21. Notice what, what is said here. Now, uh, pick it up here in um, verse 19. Okay, verse 19. And uh, we're going to just drop down to verse 22. 2 Samuel 21, starting in verse 19. And there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines where uh, Elahan, Elahanan, the son of Jeri Orgim, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of who? Goliath, the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was yet a battle in Gath where was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers and on every foot six toes, 24 in number. He was also born to the giant. And when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, the brother of David, slew him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Remember how many stones David took? Five. I think he was banking on them other brothers maybe showing up. Who knows? We don't know. But this would not be the only giant. Goliath's family was an ancient foe to the Israelites. Joshua had driven them out of the promised land 300 years earlier. Saul's soldiers saw Goliath and mumbled, not again. My dad fought his dad. My granddad fought his granddad. This Philistine held them powerless. What are the odds of David against this giant? Up to this point, no one could defeat this giant. Listen to me. Your Goliath, he doesn't carry a sword or a shield. He brandishes blades of unemployment, abandonment, sexual abuse, fear, depression. Your giant doesn't parade up and down the hills of Elah. He, he prances through your office, your bedroom, your classroom. He brings bills that you can't pay and, and pornography you can't refuse, alcohol you can't resist, people you can't please, a career you can't escape, a past that you cannot shape, and a future that you fear to face. That's what your Goliath and my Goliath does. How long has he stalked you? When was it when he first entered your life? Was it school? Was it after you got married? Was it when you were single? At what point did your giant begin its taunts in your life? And when Saul and his men heard the Philistines' challenge, they were terrified. Truth be known, the odds are against you. But listen to me very, very closely. Since when is God bound by the odds? Amen? Oh, yeah, the odds are against you. But since when is God bound by the odds? Notice, secondly, this morning, let me just say this, giants are real. They're real. They take on flesh. They consume our thoughts. They torture us with their relentless drive to defeat us. 
and with the giants that you and I must face, where is our focus? Secondly, do you see God? Do you see God? Look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. Go back there. Look at verse 26. 1 Samuel 17. And I want you to notice verse 26. And David spake to the man that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know Goliath. You know. You recognize his walk. You wince at his talk. You've stared your Goliath in the face more than once. The question is, is he all you see? Is he all you see? You know his voice, but is that the only voice that you hear? David saw and heard more. David's first discussion, although it was about Goliath, was on the Lord. That's what his discussion was. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy? The armies of the living God. David shows up discussing God. The soldiers mention nothing about God. David's brothers never even speak God's name. But David takes one step onto the stage and he raises the subject of the living God. The living God. He does the same thing with Saul. No chit-chat about the battle or questions about the odds. Just a God-birthed announcement. Look at verse 37 of chapter 17. Look at verse 37. Notice what he says here. And David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. No one else discusses God. David discusses no one but God. David sees what others don't. He refuses to see what others do. All eyes except David fell on this brutal, hate-breathing hulk of a Philistine. The entire Israeli army's focus is on the Philistine. The people, they know his taunts, his demands, his size, his strut. They have majored in the subject of Goliath. David majors on God. David sees the giant, no doubt about it. Can't miss him. He just sees God more. Listen to David's battle cry. Look at verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Hallelujah. Notice what David does. Look at verse 48. This will just blow your mind. And it came to pass when the Philistine arose... Maybe he was sitting in the field. Maybe he was just kind of laying down and, and, and just kind of using, uh, 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 messing with the Israelis' minds. Look how big I am. I'll lay down. You can't even take me laying down. But when David says what he says, the Bible says in verse 48, and when the Philistine arose, and came and drew nigh to meet David, 
that this just blows my mind, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. No backing away, no cowering. David is determined to take this giant head on, and in a minute, head off. Right? He's not backing away. In the Lord's strength, David runs to the giant. You see, David knew something about this battle, and that brings me to our third point this morning. And it's one that's so easy to forget. The battle is the Lord's. Amen? Some of us need to be reminded of that. The battle is the Lord's. You see, David knew that this battle belonged to the Lord. David's brothers, they just covered their eyes in fear and embarrassment. Saul, he just kind of sighs as young David races to certain death. Goliath is out there. He throws his head back maybe in, in laughter, just enough to shift his helmet and expose a square inch of forehead flesh. David spots his target. He seizes the moment, the sound. I mean, can you imagine? Everybody is watching what has taken place down there. They can't hear everything that David is saying. They only can observe what they see, and they see this little guy going out to meet this giant. What is happening? What is this all about? Wait and see what happens. It's going to be utter destruction. The giant is going to squash him. Everyone's silent. The only sound that they hear is a swish and a swish and a swish of a sling. And a stone that torpedoes into the giant's skull. Goliath's eyes cross, his legs buckle, and he crumbles to the ground. And David runs over and yanks Goliath's sword. Imagine if his spearhead weighed 15 pounds. Imagine what his sword weighed. And he grabs that sword up and he stands on top of Goliath and he just cuts off his head. And he holds it up. What was going on in the hearts of those people? When's the last time you slayed a giant? When's the last time? How long since you ran toward your challenge? We tend to retreat, get behind a desk of work, or crawl into a club of distraction, or sneak a peek at forbidden lust. For a moment, for a day, for a year, we feel safe, we feel insulated. The work runs out, the pills wear off, the money runs low. We're, stuck, we're struck with a sudden illness, and we hear Goliath mocking the living God that we claim to serve. Try something different. The next time your Goliath appears, and he will, rush your giant with a God-saturated soul. Amplify God and minimize Goliath. Download some of heaven's unmovable resolve. Max Lucado, wonderful author, wrote in his book, Facing Your Giants, puts it like this, quote, Giant of divorce, you're not entering my home. Giant of depression, it may take a lifetime, but you won't conquer me. Giant of alcohol, bigotry, child abuse, insecurity, you're going down. How long since you loaded your sling and took a swing at your giant? You might read David's story and wonder, what in the wide world did God see in this man? You ever wonder that? 
I mean, David fell as often as he stood. He stumbled as often as he conquered. He stared down Goliath, yet lusted for Bathsheba. He defied God mockers in the valley, but, but joined them in the wilderness. He could lead armies, but he couldn't manage his family. Raging David, weeping David, bloodthirsty David, God-hungry David, eight wives, one God. What did God see in him? Acts 13.22 reminds us that God said this, David was a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart? The very fact that God saw him as such gives hope to us all, doesn't it? It gives hope to us all. David's life has little to offer the unstained saint. The Christian who has their act together will find David's story just disappointing. For me, I find it absolutely reassuring. Amen? I, I was thinking about this when we were singing uh, those songs. This morning, it took me back to when I was set free. You, you know, sometimes we sing these songs and we don't think about it. We don't think of it. They become rote. But if you know Christ as your Savior, He sets you free. He broke the chains of sin that held you captive. That's enough to make us rejoice and jump up and down, right? Because we're set free. I was thinking about that. David's story is absolutely reassuring because if God can use a David with a checkered life, Can he use you? Can he use me? You know, we ride the same roller coaster. We alternate between swan dives and belly flops and David's good moments. No one was better in his bad moments. Who could be worse? Who could be worse? The heart of God that God loved was a checkered heart. We need David's story. Giants lurk in our neighborhoods. Rejection, failure, revenge, remorse. Giants, we must face them, yet we need not face them alone. We need not face them alone. Here's what you learn about the life of David. If you could boil his whole life down into one sentence, focus first and most on God. The times that David did, giants fell. The times that David didn't, David fell. It's really quite simple. So how then, how do we wrap this whole thing together? Notice, lastly, focus on God, not giants. Look with me again at 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to read verse 45 and verse 47. 1 Samuel Chapter 17, and notice verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you, whom you have defiled. Notice verse 48, or 47. 
and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. Notice this. Underline this in your Bibles. You will need to be reminded of this time and time again. For the battle is who? The Lord's. And he will give you, Goliath, you into our hands. You. David did not really focus on the size or strength of Goliath. There are no inquiries about Goliath's age or his skill or social standing or his IQ. David asked nothing about the, the weight of his sword or the size of his spear. But he gives much thought to God. And, and, and as we read David's words again, there are at least, if you read this passage, nine references to the Lord. God's, David's God thoughts outnumbered his Goliath thoughts. They outnumbered them. How does this compare to your thoughts, my thoughts? Do you ponder God's grace more than you ponder your guilt? Is your list of blessings longer than your list of complaints? Is your mental file of hope thicker than your mental file of fear? Church, listen to me. It's time to face your giants. The God who made a miracle out of David stands ready to make a miracle out of you. You are outnumbered, but the battle is the Lord's. Focus on God, not the giants. Always measure the size of your giant against the size of your God, and you will find that with God's strength, you can have victory over your giant. You can have victory. Maybe you're here today, and you've never received Christ as Savior. And just because... You find yourself in a pew in a church this morning does not automatically make you a Christian. No more than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. Heard that once, just kind of stuck with me. But I'll tell you what does matter is where you stand with Christ. That matters. You know, you don't have to turn on the news to realize that this world is getting crazier and crazier. But it's a reminder of the sinful nature of man, isn't it? It's just in your face all the time. It's in your face. Tragedy, sickness, disease, suffering, all because of one man. Adam. That's where it started. And from that point forward, man has not gotten better. It's gotten worse. We know this to be true. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, and inside you are empty, you might try and fill that emptiness with Whatever the world offers you to fill it. I tried it. I tried it all. It didn't work. It didn't fill me. It satisfied for a moment, but that moment led to another moment and another moment and another moment. I was never truly fulfilled. I was empty. I was lost. One day, sitting in a pew in a church, not really wanting to be there as a 15-year-old, 
I began to have the thought, what if what this guy is saying is true? What if there really is a heaven? What if there really is a hell? Where will I go when I die? And I'm telling you what happened in that pew. Fear came over me like a fear that I had never, ever experienced before. Fear of if I die, I know I'm not going to heaven. That scared me. There was no altar call given. There was no invitation given like what I'm doing with you right now. But I knew in that pew two things, God's holiness and my sinfulness. And the two were so far apart. And I was like the bad side of David. Lost. Lost. How could God love someone like me? Maybe you wonder that. Could God really love me? Yes. Yes. And he proved it by sending his son, Jesus, to take your place, to be your substitute. We deserve the cross. We deserve that. That's what we deserve. That's what our sin deserved. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But Jesus stepped in, and he took your place, and he took my place. And when you receive him as Savior, your sins are forgiven. Your life is set free, and you become a child of God, and a new heart God puts in you, a heart that wants to please God, like David's heart. That heart. Why not invite Jesus to forgive your sin and be your Savior? God's the one who can give you true victory. But for those of you who know Christ, you know Christ. Isn't it time to let him have victory over your giant? Aren't you tired of going into the valley, staring down your giant, getting ready, and then backing away? I'll try him again tomorrow. Same thing. Doesn't that just wear you down, make you tired? The battle belongs to who? The Lord. He will fight this battle for you. You need to step back and allow him to do it. He specializes in slaying giants. Join me in prayer. Father, praise team comes and gets ready to lead us in our last worship song, just a continuation of what we've been doing throughout this morning. Lord, would you speak to our hearts this morning? Remove the distractions, all the things that we carried with us into church today that no one even knows about. 
the thoughts in our head, the fears, the anxiety, uh, the, 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 the things that we wrestle with, the sin that so easily besets us, the sin that we want to have victory over, but seems to have so much victory over us. God, would you expose our hearts to you this morning? These are giants, and they need to be slain. And God, we can't do it in our own strength. David could not do it in his own strength. He knew that that battle belonged to you. He called out and said, today, this giant will go down. So, Lord, give us victory over the giants in our life. Help us to trust you in that valley that might look like the office or at home or at school. That valley. The valley where we meet our giant face to face. Lord Jesus, we need your victory. Father, I pray for the one that might be here today that does not know you as Savior. Today, would you draw that heart to you only the way that you can? Through your word, just bring that heart to a place of wanting to get that nailed down with you today. We'll thank you and we'll praise you. And all God's people said,